Well, if you'll turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll read chapter 2, beginning to verse 10 to the end of the chapter. We've read this last week. We're going to press on. I uh, stopped short last week of finishing my message. Um, felt that it was going to be hard-pressed to get it in uh, and give it the time and the attention that it needed. And so we are going to go through this uh, again, particularly the latter verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. God's Word says, verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This morning I brought an object lesson to go with the message. How rare is that? We're going to be looking at one very key word in our passage today. It is used three times, but it's only trans, but it's translated two different ways in our text in New King James. Uh, in fact, you'll find very few texts that translate it the same each time. There's a few out there, um, but we're going to be focusing in on that word, um, and a derivative of it is used a another time, so really four times, we are confronted with this idea in the latter verses of chapter 2 here in 1 Corinthians. I don't know if you picked up on it as we were reading or not, probably not because of the manner in which it is translated, but this morning I want to begin with an object lesson. I learned this from Pastor Silcock that you guys really respond to object lessons, and I'm just going to have to start bringing more. I use them extensively in Word of Life, but not typically in my messages. So I have um, two little brown bags up here, and it's what's in them that I'd like you to understand, to comprehend. I would like you to know what's in them. Um, in both bags, there's a round thing. It's a sphere, actually. It's not round. It's a sphere, which is a three-dimensional round thing. It's like a ball. It's round. Um, each one of these uh, has uh, something in it that uh, has skin on it, or someone might call it a peel. Each one of these bags contains something that has seeds, and each one of these contains something that we consider a fruit. They both grow on trees. They are both made into juice. They are... Comparable, as you can tell, I can go on and on and describe to you all the things that are the same about them. 
Um, would you like to know what they are? How many of you know what they are? This is an apple. It's kind of roundish. This is an orange. But when we use the term comparing apples to oranges, what do we really mean by that? What we really mean is that these are two very different things. And yet everything I told you about them is true, is it not? That they are comparable. And yet we use this as an illustration of distinction that you cannot compare apples to oranges. Uh, and there are some terms that we could use uh, to distinguish them. One's a citrus and one is not. Um, that's about it. They taste obviously different. They're both fairly sweet. And so I, could, I had all this list of ways to compare them how can you contrast them? Let's say, well, one's orange and one's green, but they paint these. These are green on the tree, usually. Yeah. That's very disconcerting to you, isn't it? Um, and, of course, these aren't shiny on the tree. These are all waxed. So uh, this one's waxed. That one's not. But they're both manipulated to some degree for our visual enjoyment, what we expect them to look like. Uh, so we find that uh, apples and oranges, very different things, don't. Compare them, and yet they are more comparable than they are contrasting in many senses. I mean, it's not like comparing uh, a fruit to an animal. They're more comparable than that, aren't they? And yet we use this very symbol to talk about the inability to compare very different things. That We shouldn't be doing that. We should rather be speaking about them in contrast. And this is exactly... Uh, where I want to take us in understanding this singular word in our text that we're going to focus in on. And that word um, is translated, at least in one place, as discernment. To discern, to distinguish between. Uh, it's translated also as to judge. And to compare. And so, as we get into our text, let's... Remember that we are dealing with apples and oranges. But that we might also be dealing with some things that are very different, far more different than the two pieces of fruit I have up here this morning. Let's begin looking at our text. Well, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Then we'll look into our text this morning. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your work in our midst. And we do pray that our time together today um, might be profitable because we spent it in your word, because we were sensitive to your Holy Spirit's direction in our lives, because we are dependent upon you and humble before you, willing to receive your instruction. And so Lord, we do pray that all that is said might truly be by your Spirit in accordance with your word of truth, It might impact our very lives. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. God has revealed some things to us through His Spirit. We talked last week about the Spirit of God and how um, we influence His work and, and how He influences us or can 
minister to us, and his ministry is expansive, we found, that it involved him from the one end of the spectrum as our comforter to the other end of the spectrum as our convictor. And really a lot of things in between, including re- uh, revealing his truth, illuminating us. Um, and right through the line, we, we look at our dependence in the Christian walk upon the Holy Spirit. And we find that in recoil to the Pentecostal movement and their overemphasis uh, and wrong emphasis on external aspects associated with the Holy Spirit, we find that in our recoil, many in our movement have minimized his work. Have, have really don't speak extensively of it, do not really of him, not it, and do not refer to the ministry that goes on there very frequently. Nor do we develop it. And that is unfortunate. That we not engage ourselves in developing this relationship with the third person of the Godhead that resides with us. And we're going to come, of course, to lengthy passages here in Corinthians uh, that are going to focus exclusively almost on developing that relationship and what is entailed in it to know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And so we're going to develop that and we initiated that last week as we talked about how do I know the Spirit's there? How can how, how does He work? What does it look like? Uh, and we, we try to develop some of that. Well, now we come into for the Christian walk. Remember, we're not talking about if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, what I'm going to describe for you is going to be very foreign to you. Um, because, frankly, it was foreign to me until I received Christ as my Savior. And even for many believers, because we don't have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit and we haven't done the work it takes to build that kind of relationship, did you know that? That relationships take work and they don't just happen? You have to invest yourself in it. Time, energy, resources. It takes a lot of work. And there's a lot of things that can mess that up, that work up. So we work hard at it and and that's why husbands and wives need to get somewhere and, and communicate to each other. And that's why parents and children need to sit down at the dinner table and have real conversations. And that's because relationship building uh, is not really done by texting. This is not the best way. I Sorry. All right? It's dissatisfying. If you want to build strong relationships, you're going to have to invest yourself fully in it. So we find that God wants us to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and, it's, and we, have made, we have minimized that. We really have in, in evangelical and fundamentalist movement. We've really minimized that idea of developing a relationship, and that's unfortunate. Um, no, that's not the right word. It's not unfortunate. It's wrong. It's done great injury to conservative movement in, in Christendom um, because he is our power. He is our source of understanding God's word. He is that which is going to move us into a right relationship and a better relationship with God, and He needs our attention. Now, we're not going to um, go to the point where, the, where these others have taken it, that it's all built upon this external activity that is actually the, the opposite of what the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence is, but we do want to develop that relationship in the manner which God's Word describes it. Now, 
once as a believer we have started down that road and I'm not intimating that somehow you have to reach this high level of, of relationship with the Holy Spirit to, to uh, begin to see these things happen in your life. They should start to occur in, in process, in development, that they will, they will increase, they will uh, broaden and, and expand within your uh, understanding of God's Word and the world around you. But as we develop this relationship with God, the Spirit's intent is for us to know something. We find in verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit was from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So you see, very clearly we're referring to not the unbelieving community, not those who don't know Christ, but rather to those who have received Christ as their Savior, who have humbled themselves to Him. Now, humble yourself to the Holy Spirit. His presence there is to grant you something. You've already been given this great gift by God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us unravel it. Now, if you don't think that's important, I take you to Christmas past. um, And I want you to, all of you, the recent Christmas past, because the older Christmas past wasn't this way. Recent Christmas past, um, you get that, special little doll house. And it's got all those little itty-bitty little doll pieces. And I've had three girls in my house, so I know exactly how they package those. They take one piece of plastic, they set all those little pieces in there, and they melt another piece of plastic right over it, essentially. And you give this child this toy, this gift, she opens it. She's excited. Oh, just what I always wanted. And she's thrilled. And she can't get the box open nor any of the pieces out. And essentially, that's where many Christians are. We've opened up this wonderful present called salvation. We've ripped it open by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. We look at the box and we say, Wow, just what I wanted. Thank you, Lord. And we have no idea how to open it. And frankly... I couldn't do it myself either. So you're going and you're getting, you know, first you start off with scissors and then you start going to get your, your sawzall and other things like that. Big tools, you know, get the skill saw, let's get this broken open. Um, and the way they package these things is incredible anymore. Um, well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is He takes that gift that you have received from Jesus Christ and you have received in entirety. You don't get the gifts of salvation in increments. We think in that term that somehow I am incrementally growing or I'm gaining more of the grace of God incrementally and that's really not true. You received the entirety of the gift of God of salvation the moment you believed. The problem was you didn't weren't able to get to the pieces of it. And the incrementalness is in your understanding of what exactly you've been given. What is in this gift? How far does it go? What's its height, breadth, width? What is entailed in all of this wonderful thing called the gift of God of salvation? 
And we discover it incrementally. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit on us, is as we submit ourselves to Him and build that relationship with Him, we begin this discovery process of breaking open this facet and that facet of what it means to be a child of God. What it is, when, when Paul says here in Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't happen overnight. There is an increment incrementalness there's an increment involved in this process of coming to understand the salvation that you are already the possessor of and so as is in your experience you might think well I've really uh, God's given me more and more and more as I've grown in him no you've just discovered more and more and more of what he gave you back then when you first trusted in Christ as your savior And so this is this idea that's here in verse 12 that we might know the things that have been, past tense, freely given to us by God. That as believers we can have this discovery, this knowledge that expands and increases and and to us it feels like we're getting a new gift. And I've heard of those parents that, you know, they, they... meet out those gifts and the kids only get to open one like once a month or something throughout the... and and God's not doing that. He's giving you the whole thing right up front. And now, as we take possession of it, the Holy Spirit enables us to break open this portion and that portion to discover it and to apply it to our lives and to realize, you know what, I've had this all along, and but now I get to live in it because I know it. And this is the work the Holy Spirit has within us, that we might know what it is this gift is entailed is entailed in this gift and so we come to paul's ministry what is his ministry his ministry by the holy spirit is to participate with the believers to teach these kinds of things look at it here in verse 13 these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the holy spirit teaches and so we have not only the holy spirit coming here to aid us in this process of unraveling our gift. I don't want to say un- unwrapping it because we've taken off the wrapper. We've seen it. We're saved. It's, we've taken possession of it. But now to to open it up fully so that we can actually manipulate it and, and, and engage with it. Um, and so we have a, this work of the Holy Spirit and alongside of His work, uh, Paul says we are fellows. We come along and we speak too. And our speaking isn't from another perspective, it's from the same perspective. We don't come to you and say uh, to go against what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life, but rather to enhance His work because the Holy Spirit's at work in us. And this is critical to the rest of this chapter's instruction, that we understand that we are all, even you know somebody who knows everything, um, all dependent upon Holy Spirit. And Paul says, we don't come to you with worldly ideas and words um, from the philosophies of this world. That's not what we teach. We're not speaking those things. We're not dependent upon our own wisdom, but rather we too are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And now we come into this idea of discernment uh, introduced with this idea of comparing. And now you know why there's an apple and orange up here. That we are here comparing and, and uh, we have a, a phrase here I want to talk about a little bit to introduce this idea. 
uh, a phrase that seems to us to be not finished. And many translators have tried to finish the phrase. The New King James Version does not. It doesn't add a word in here to help us figure out the antecedent. Uh, what, can, what is it referring to? Uh, and I think there's a reason God's word didn't include the antecedent or the uh, object of the, the lesson. Okay. It says comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, uh, the question is, what is the second spiritual referring to? And some go back and say it's referring to the words that Paul uses early in the verse that talks about uh, that we speak with words uh, that are not men's wisdom, but God's was the Holy Spirit. And so we speak, we compare spiritual things with spiritual words. In other words, we, we go through this process of talking about spiritual things and we, and we use words that are appropriate. Possibly. Others think, well, it refers to we speak spiritual things, or we're comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. That we are taking two spiritual truths and we are comparing them to one another and we are using this spiritual uh, knowledge and information and, and work of the Holy Spirit to compare to this spiritual. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to, we're, we're going to use Him to engage ourselves in involving understanding of other spiritual things. Another translation is comparing spiritual things with spiritual men. That is that we don't engage in this process with the unbelievers. That we compare spiritual things with spiritual men. That you have to be spiritual. And this means, this is, and where do they get that idea? Well, they have taken that idea from the next verse that talks about the natural man versus the spiritual man. And so they've taken either the previous idea of words, um, the immediate idea of things, or the next idea of men, and said that, uh, and put that in there as the filler to the antecedent. What is the second word spiritual referring to? And rather than pick between those three, I'm going to say yes. Because they all have valid arguments, because they're all true. Paul has already gone to great length to say, and he's going to go to great length to, to say that that you have to, Come to spiritual truth differently. You can't come to it from the world's wisdom. You can't come to it from man's philosophy. You can't come to it from the natural man. You can't come to it even with the the same words that men use. We can't come to it without the Holy Spirit. All of those things are true. And so rather than picking one and saying this is right and that's wrong... I prefer to say, yes, it fits right in the context, all three of them. And so why fight the context? Let's just agree with it. That as a teacher of God's Word, I have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And when I communicate God's truth, I need to make sure that I do it uh, based upon His work and using His Word. And yes, I need to recognize that I have to be a spiritual man to do that that I have to come on my knees as soon as I enter into God's Word and confess something before God, and that is that I am a weak spiritual pygmy that needs all the help he can get. Lord, help me. Then he begins that work. And so um, when we talk about comparing or discerning spiritual things with spiritual, uh, we automatically often just put in the word things there, spiritual things with spiritual things, um, that somehow that there's some code involved here. No, the code is very simple. No, there is no code. The, 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 the process is very simple. 
If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're not dependent and living in the Holy Spirit, don't expect to be able to comprehend and grasp spiritual things. You must begin with the spiritual to begin to discern the spiritual. You cannot come out of left field and think you're going to get it and, uh, and now you can be the evaluator of what these people believe. or what that. But rather you need to come to it uh, submitting yourself first to God, having received that gift, now we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to move us in fully grasping hold of what it is God is doing amongst us. And so we have this word now. As I said and have, have repeated now for four weeks, there, it's only been five, but Pastor Silcott was the parenthetical ministry there. Um, but for four weeks of messages, I've been talking about the fact that if you've not received Christ as your Savior, there's only one spiritual truth you need to be told and discover, and that is you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior, the Gospel. That is the only spiritual truth that you are going to be able to grasp because I can't grasp any more than that. Uh, and even then, I need the Holy Spirit's help with that until the Holy Spirit resides within us. And so it is not that um, we are irrational in our beliefs, but rather, as we've said over and over again, we are super rational. We have the Holy Spirit's help to bring us to a different level of understanding. Uh, and so Paul here in verse 14 talks about that. We referenced it before, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He looks at them and says, how silly for you to believe that. And they make ridiculous statements like, oh, you need a crutch, like religion in your life. You just, you know, instead of drugs, you need religion. It's just your form of opiate. Make foolish statements like that. And they lift themselves up in pride as if to say, I don't need that. When their spirit themselves tells them that they do. And their emptiness is evident um, in their later works and, and in their statements of despair and in the, all the evidence around them. But it says not only that, he, that uh, he doesn't want to, but he can't know them, nor can he know them. And so we have uh, this incapacity, not only the unwillingness, but the unableness of understanding God's truth, which is why we are so dependent upon the Holy Spirit for his convicting work, pre-salvation, and then for his illuminating work, post-salvation. And now we come into this important word, discernment. Because they are spiritually discerned. And it goes back to the idea of comparison, of, of understanding. And again, the word that's going to be used in verse 15, of judging. Of taking two things and recognizing the distinguishment of them, of recognizing the world for what it is. And I'm going to use the apple for the world because, you know, that's what Adam and Eve ate in the Garden of Eden. We don't know that. It was some fruit. must have been tasty. Um, probably wasn't orange. But we're going to call it an apple because that's what everyone thinks. Here's a world's thinking, and, I'm not, and, and to be able to discern truth, and uh, they have one perspective, and we have a different perspective of, of discerning truth, and that is based on the Holy Spirit. And God's Word's contention is, is that the natural man really doesn't have the capacity to discern truth. They just don't have the foundation. All the intelligence, 
all the moral workings that go on, they always come up short. Even in their study of the Bible, they come up short. Our textual critics and that whole field of study that is so... in uh, I, I can't pick up a commentary without having to deal with textual critics. No modern commentary uh, is considered scholastic if it doesn't include every single thing a textual critic has said of every verse in the Bible, questioning its authenticity. That's not just liberal um, commentators. That's evangelical and conservative and fundamental commentators. If you go back a generation, generation, well, two generations ago, you'll never hear any of them refer to that. Textual criticism is something that's come in our day. Um, and uh, the sad thing is, is that those textual critics, by and large, are not believers. They're academias who study the Bible and, and they know the original languages and all that. And if you think that's the key to unlocking the Scriptures, well, obviously it isn't because these men have all that and they don't get it. They don't get that there's apples and oranges. They don't get it. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit's investment there. They haven't humbled themselves. Their reliance is upon their academic experience, their training, um, their, their dependence upon man's wisdom and the conclusion of the matter with all the Greek, with all the Hebrew, with all the Aramaic, with all the archaeology, with all the study, with all the uh, time and attention, they come up with despair. And the best they can do is to point the finger and say, well, this isn't true. This isn't in God's Word. This isn't valid. I can find a reason to fault this passage. This chapter doesn't belong there. This half of Daniel isn't true. This half was a later edition. This part was... And it goes on and on. There's not a passage of Scripture they haven't attacked. So, no. We are not dependent upon... Does that mean that we don't engage in any of that? No. We do engage in that. And I highly value those believers who have invested themselves in the original language who are dependent upon them for these translations. But um, fundamentally, if they aren't believers, if they don't come by faith to God, they are going to come to this Word and they are going to in, see it as foolishness and attack it. And we have given them much too much credence as our commentators, modern commentators, have demonstrated in their scholastic work. We accept God's Word as true. There is ample archaeological, uh, internal evidence, external evidence for that. But fundamentally, it is a matter of submitting myself to the truth of God's Word. And you can claim that circular reasoning that you go to the Bible, it says it's what it is, and I believe what it is, and so you're just trusting the Bible to tell you about the Bible. Um, but uh, what are you trusting in? The fact is, every one of us, every one of every man's reasoning really is circular, even if he depends upon himself to discern himself. So we come to God with trusting His Word, and if we are not of that spirit, if we are not of that attitude, if we are not prepared to submit ourselves to Holy Spirit's work, then we have no capacity 
to really discern the Scriptures, to bring its truth out and to bring it into our lives. And so when we come to verse 15, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Um, we have used this word judges, and we usually totally miss this whole verse, what this whole verse is talking about. Because when we think of judging, we think of people judging me and me judging people. That's not what the reference is to at all. It's not about your relationships. Not with others. It's about your relationship with the truth. He who is spiritual has discernment over all things. Once you've tapped into this person of called Holy Spirit, once you've tapped into His ministry in your life and you've surrendered yourself to it, He gives you the capacity to discern things, to be able to honestly and truthfully investigate and discover this truth and to bring it into your life and to draw it out. And all of a sudden the lights go on and you go, duh, why didn't I see that before? Why doesn't everybody believe that? And frankly, there's a lot of times I sit back and I read people's writings and I go, palm to face. You know, um, and I think there's a Facebook shorthand for that, isn't there? Anyway, you know, I'm just hitting my head. I'm like, don't they get it? And, and they don't. They can't. Until they have surrendered themselves to God's Word, to, first of all, Jesus Christ and salvation, and then to the Holy Spirit. And then now they can come in and they, when they have the spiritual working going on in them, when they have, as we talked about last week, surrendered themselves and developed this relationship with God, with Holy Spirit in them, now we can begin to discern all things. We can do a right evaluation of the things around us, those things in the world and the things in God's Word, and we can look at them from this entirely different perspective that's radical. And I don't deny that. And you're going to get to the end of Corinthians and the end of 2 Corinthians, and you're going to go, pastors, it's getting more and more radical. Well, praise God. I hope so. And I hope you'll join me. Because as Holy Spirit unwraps His Word, oh, that we would all become more radical. That's the whole point. Now, in our day, radical is a bad word when it comes to fundamentalist Christians. Um, but the fact is, the more radical we get, the more loving we get. The world doesn't get that. They don't like that, and that's why they attack it. We don't get more violent. We get less violent. We don't get more selfish. We get more selfless. And this is what Corinthians is going to call us to over and over again. But once we have the Spirit of God active within us, we are able to discern all things. And that word judges is not judging other people but rather judging all things that is discerning all things in this, around me, that I can eva- I have a different means of evaluating the world around me than my unbelieving neighbors and friends and family members. And then it has a secondary clause, yet he himself is rightly discerned by no one, and by no one, Paul really is saying, by, no one with, by anyone without the Spirit that those who do not have the Spirit of God, they're not going to get you. They're not going to rightly understand or discern you. That's essentially what it's saying. Don't go out and expect the world to say, oh, well, that's great. 
Because they won't. They're going to go, what's, what's with you? You're weird. They're going to get, you know, how far are you going to take this religion thing? You see, when you truly have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is active and engaging, and you are coming to spiritual truth, you're discerning spiritual truth. That's more than just, I know, I know, I know. Remember? It's about bringing it into your very life and working it over and getting so accustomed and manipulating. It's just second nature. That you're just, I just do things this way. Because the Spirit of God dwells within me. I'm a spiritual person. What does the world look at you and discern? Paul says, they call me a fool, and I'm glad for the title. I'd rather be a fool for Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he lives, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul has repeatedly, over the course of his ministry, suffered not only from the world, but even from ungodly people within the church who have assaulted him because they don't understand him. They can't get him. They cannot discern what he has discerned. And from their view, while they can see the results of God's work in his life, they cannot invest themselves in the process that you've invested yourself in. They're going to resist it. They want the joy. They want the peace. They want all those things at the other end. But when they look at the process, because they don't understand that process, they bristle against it. They say, well, that worked for you. And then they take about three steps away from you. <laughs> worked for you. Just don't. I don't want to catch that. But they don't understand that that process that we've been engaged in called the Christian life um, is not something that we are creating. It is something that we are submitting to that the Holy Spirit is developing in our life. They can't see its value because they haven't received Christ as Savior. And so not only are they not going to be able to discern truth from God's Word, are they not going to be able to respond to anything but the Gospel, neither are they going to understand you. If you live the radical Christian life, the world is going to throw their arms up and scream and run away from you because you're weird. They're that far off from where they are. For most of what God calls us to is extraordinarily countercultural. I tell young people, you really, really, really want to be radical? Try being a Christian. For real. Not just going to church on Sunday, but being a real Christian. It'll blow people away. They can't get it. I'm not saying that they won't get it. I'm saying they can't get it until they receive Christ as their Savior and then it'll begin to dawn on them. And now we have the foundation of this discernment. Where does the discernment come from? Um, and again, we're going to link this right back to where it starts. It starts with Christ. 
And yes, Paul's focused on the Holy Spirit, that listen, you're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual truth that we're after. Who knows spiritual truth but the Spirit of God? And so we're dependent upon Him. We're going to speak these words. This is what we're going to teach. And we as a community of Christians, and as we mature, remember that was a key word a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, as we mature, we are going to have spiritual truth come into our very lives. Now, where is its source? Where is its origin? He tells us, for who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the beginning of the promises that Paul's going to keep tapping. He's going to tap promises of God. He's going to make these declarations throughout Corinthians that are potent, that all draw us right back to where it all began, and that is Jesus Christ. It is not that somehow we have the intelligence of Christ. It is not somehow that we have all the knowledge that God had, but rather that we have a mindset of Christ, that we are approaching things totally different because now it is not based upon me, but Christ in me. That now I am looking at things from a very, very different perspective. That I have equal access now to the very mind of God through Jesus Christ. And that is what the Holy Spirit gives us. Please understand that. You have equal access to the mind of God by trusting in Jesus Christ to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can say, oh, well, Jesus would have done things a lot better or known things or uh, that... From my understanding of God's Word, Jesus Christ was dependent upon the Holy Spirit for His ministry. Including His teaching. What is the difference between Christ and us? The only difference between Christ and us is the degree to which we have surrendered ourselves. Holy Spirit. That when push comes to shove, we are frankly quite reticent to say, not my will, but yours be done. Whereas Christ was always ready to say that. The same Spirit that indwelt Christ indwells us. And that's why Christ could go to the apostles and said, you think this is great? Greater works than these you will do. Why? Because it's the same source of power. It's the same spirit with th- that's, that by which I am working, by which you will work. But the difference between us is that Christ had it fully opened up to him. And he has fully surrendered to it. And he had, had a full grasp of it. But now what Paul says here is that you have the same exact access to the mind of God because you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. That, you, that I can say this statement, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that incredible? I can go around and say, I have the mind of Christ. Why? Because I have the same person revealing truth to me that Christ had. Do I understand how that works exactly? No. Am I glad? Yes. I'm thrilled. Because now 
I cannot sit. I, I have no excuse for sitting on my hands and say, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Which is a common excuse I hear that really is just Christians trying to excuse their sin. Saying, I don't want to get it because I don't want to change. I don't want to submit to that. We have the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit within us, who will lead us into all truth. What you do with it now depends upon whether you're going to grow into a spiritually discerning person or you're just going to try to cling to the natural man that you are supposedly repented of at salvation. So what is it that debilitates the church today? Is not that we don't have the mind of Christ, is that we don't tap it. Because we like our sin too much to develop a powerful relationship with the Spirit of God. That He can move us in God's Word to understanding and allow Him to penetrate our life and make us look at our life and say, well, that's got to change. Well, I can need to do more of this. Um, and... This needs to be developed. This needs to be strengthened. This area I need. And the Spirit will lead us into that truth. And then at the other end of that process of discovery is great joy that Paul wants for the Corinthians. But he sees that they're tied themselves. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to work through the mind of Christ that we are the possessors of, they are infantile. Because they like their sin. And so, God wants us to be discerners of truth. He will lead us into that discernment. He will enable us to do that as believers. But it requires us, uh, as we spoke last week, it requires us to have this strengthening, developing relationship with God in us. And if you weren't here last week, I challenge you to go back and listen to the podcast, bring out those ideas. But fundamentally... If you're not developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be, grow in discernment, which means you're not going to be tapping this mind of Christ that Paul says we have. As believers, we have the mind of Christ. Why don't I get it? The Holy Spirit will only lead you into that truth that you are willing to surrender yourself to. If you don't want to hear it, he's very different than me. He won't yell. He whispers. And waits for you to respond. And so, what is a mature Christian? A mature Christian, in Paul's description here in Timothy, is one who is able to discern spiritual things. Not because of his great intellect, but because of his great humility. He has humbled himself to the Spirit, who has led him into perfect truth, even to the point of discovering that we are in fact possessors of the mind of Christ. Which I don't, I think we have to connect very quickly to Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus our Lord, who did what? Humbled himself and became obedient to death. Yes. To that degree. I had a young person come up to me and talk to me about this Iraq. Iranian pastor who's going to die. 
And uh, don't you think that's terrible? I said, no, I don't think that's terrible at all. He was shocked. You're a pastor. You don't think it's terrible? I said, no, it's not terrible at all. I think that guy's blessed. Well, they're probably torturing him. I said, well, he's more blessed than me. You're heartless. I says, no. But you see, we keep looking at the things of the world through the world's lens. What did the apostles say when they were beaten and murdered for Christ? They counted it all joy that they could suffer as their Lord did. You see, that's spiritual discernment. It doesn't look at anything through men's eyes anymore. And death suddenly isn't something I'm afraid of at all, but anticipating. There's really only one thing that I'm anticipating more than that, and that is Christ's coming. Because one of those two is going to get me into the presence of God. Do I go out and play in the interstate? No, because I have work to do. When we are mature in Christ, it means we are submitting ourselves more and more to the Holy Spirit, and we're developing a relationship with Him that will lead us into all truth, and by leading us there means that we are following Him there. Once we stop following, He's going to stand still, and your Christian life will stagnate. God doesn't want that for you at all. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to to, uh, move on to solid food and to enjoy a good steak. He wants that for you. But it requires something of you. You have to 